why and how to study Koine Greek. I want to try to provide a vision for us, a vision that we can kind of get behind where we're headed with the learning this language, which is going to feel very overwhelming at times. It's going to feel very overwhelming at times. So does everyone have this PDF? Just making sure if you can't find it, I put it on. Um, is it on there? Perfect. Perfect. So it's under modules, lecture one. Um, okay, why and how study Koine Greek. Second Timothy 2.15 reads as follows. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word truth, right? At the end of the day, why are we learning Greek? Are we learning Koine Greek so that we can go over to Greece, which doesn't even know Koine Greek, which actually sounds quite bizarre. We can talk about the history of Greek. Right? We're not learning this to know how to speak this in a culture. At the end of the day, we're learning Greek so as to know the scriptures better and to communicate the scriptures well. Must I really know the languages? Right? We have good translations of the Bible. We have good secondary source material. Right? We have good commentaries. We have commentaries that lift the heavy weights for us. Right? Will taking one year, maybe two years to learn a language impede our social and evangelistic endeavors? Look at Augustine of Hippo. Look at all of these exhortations from, uh, from church history as, as a whole. Look at church history, exhortations from church history as a whole. Augustine of Hippo lives in the fourth century. The latter part of the fourth century, he ends up watching the fall of Rome happen, 416, ends up dying around 433. Augustine of Hippo, right? Protestantism rests upon the shoulders of Augustine. He knows Latin, and he doesn't know any Greek. Notice what he says here. The great remedy for ignorance is knowledge of the languages. And men who speak the Latin, the Latin tongue, of whom are those I have undertaken to instruct, need two other languages for the knowledge of Scripture, Hebrew and Greek, that they may have recourse to the original texts, if the endless diversity of Latin translators throw them into doubt, might we say, might we say that we learn Hebrew and Greek because of the endless diversity of the English translators that might cast doubt on the clarity of the text? Although indeed we, we often find Hebrew words untranslated in the books, for example, amen, hallelujah, raka, Hosanna and others of the same kind. Some of these, although, they could have been translated, have been preserved in their original form on account of the more sacred authority that attaches 
to it as, for example, amen, hallelujah. Right? In your piety, you speak Hebrew. Some of them, again, are said to be untranslatable into another tongue, of which the other two I've mentioned are examples. For in some languages, there are words that cannot be translated into the idiom of another language. And this happens chiefly in the case of interjections, which are words that express rather an emotion of the mind than any other part of thought we have in our mind. And the two given above are said to be of this kind, raka, expressing the cry of an angry man, hosanna, that of a joyful man. But the knowledge of these languages is necessary, not for the sake of a few words like these, which it is very easy to mark and to ask about, but as it, as it has been said, on account of the diversities among translators, for the translations of the scriptures from Hebrew into Greek can be counted. But the Latin translators are out of all number. For in the early days of the faith, Every man who happened to get his hands upon a Greek manuscript and who thought he had any knowledge, were it ever so little of the two languages, ventured upon the work of translation. Right? This is Augustine. Augustine doesn't know Greek. And still the exhortations stand. It's really interesting. He, could, he, was, uh, he lived in the Punic Carthage uh, area, so he wasn't from Rome. He even had an accent as he spoke Latin, right? I feel like we look at Augustine and we venerated him. This great orator, this great speaker, he knows everything, no. He even talks about how he couldn't break his accent as he's trying to speak Latin, his normal vernacular. We already read this Martin Luther, this Martin Luther quote. Uh, I'll, I'll let you read the other one. Look at Philip Melanchthon. Why must we know the languages? To understand Christ rightly. Only if we have clearly understood the language will we clearly understand the content. If we have put our minds to the Hebrew and Greek sources, we will be able to understand Christ rightly. We will be able to understand Christ rightly. Someone from their English quote for us for, uh, uh, John 1 verse 14. John 1 verse 14. Someone read that for us. John 1 verse 14. In your English. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Christ dwelt. What's the Greek word there? Does anyone know? Tabernacled. Christ tented among us. Already from the get-go, the, the, to learn that feature in the language is going to then kind of blow up and blossom out how we actually talk about the sun in this case. So why study Koine Greek, which is what we're going to be learning, Hebrew, and then just in general, the original 
languages. Right, to read the Greek New Testament and the Old Testament that the New Testament writers assumed. Other student, students may be interested in the pseudepigrapha, the apostolic fathers, classical Greek literature, or even early Christian fathers. So I shared this the other night with uh, the church history course that I'm teaching. My, my interests, where, where do my interests reside? Right? It sounds odd that a church history professor is in here teaching you Greek, right? <laughs> my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, Michael Haken, uh, patristic, uh, evangelical, uh, uh, massive towering figure, said this, every historian, especially of the early patristic era, ought to know how to use Latin and Greek and know how to read them in the original languages. Those that go on to do PhD studies, studies ought to know a little bit of Syriac and ought to know a little bit of Coptic. To be a patristic scholar, Latin and Greek are normal. Right, Latin and Greek are normal. They're Cyril of Alexandria. He's a uh, 5th century figure, born 378, dies 444. Um, he's probably considered maybe a third generation Nicene figure. Right? If anyone knows anything about Nicene theology, the first thing that comes to mind is Trinitarian theology. That should be the first thing that comes to mind. The moment we talk about Nicaea and the moment that we talk about Nicene theology, Trinitarianism should come up. He's a third generation pro-Nicene figure. He has two early volumes in his life, the Thesaurus and the Dialogues, both detailing a third generation doctrine of the Trinity. And then he has a commentary on the Gospel of John. Still of Alexandria, probably the third or fourth most prolific figure in antiquity. And guess what? Are they accessible to the church? Tell me why. They have not been translated into English. I remember, I remember coming to grips with this. Um, coming to grips with this. I would walk the libraries. Um, I walked down here. I didn't see them in our library. Um, uh, it's called the Patrologia Graeca. Probably starting from here going to the end of that first whiteboard and it flips around and comes back the other way, right? The stacks, right? The normal library stacks, one, two, three, four, five, six. The Patrologia Graeca is a between 16th century all the way up to the 19th century Byzantine uh, monks put all of them in a diglot. Greek on one side, Latin on the other. They are sitting in libraries. In the patristic literature, we've probably translated about 40% of the available literature. Right? Like these, these sources that we could give to the church. So learning Greek comes, uh, it, there's tons of value here, even well beyond the New Testament. We, though, are going to be very limited on the New Testament. But what I try to do right there, just sort of like pull back to kind of show big picture. 2016, 2016, Cyril's commentary on, um, Cyril's commentary on uh, the Gospel of John was finally translated. The other one, one of the other two, uh, I just finished the translation of it 
last year and will seek to get it published in the next year. Right. So, so part of us doing this is try is, is an attempt is an attempt to have these sources to be able to labor hard as gifts. We have been stewarded to give gifts to the church through knowing Greek. So why, why keep studying? To grasp the meaning of the scriptures. To grasp the meaning of the scriptures. Is anyone familiar with J. Gresham Machen? Is that a familiar? It's part of the big Princeton era. If you're to tell what the Bible does say, you must be able to read the Bible for yourself. And you cannot read the Bible for yourself unless you know the language it, in which it was written. In his mysterious wisdom, God gave us his word to us in Hebrew and in Greek. We could add a third. What's the third? Aramaic. Hence, if we want to know the scriptures to study the Greek and Hebrew, we must go. To study provides this motivation to live. Here's a book entitled, The Minister and His Greek Testament. The Minister and His Greek Testament. Remind me to tell a story about a banker, Bitzer the banker, here in a moment. <clears throat> J. Gresham Machen again writes, in many colleges, the study of Greek is almost abandoned. The real trouble with modern exaltation of practical studies at the expense of the humanities is that it is based upon a vicious conception of the whole purpose of education. The modern conception of the purpose of education is merely intended to enable a man to live, but not to give him those things that make life. All right, so part of us knowing languages, it, you will notice how it vivifies your readings of the scriptures. It, once we start diving in, you're going to see how the scriptures start to come alive for the first time afresh. I remember the first time I read Greek, uh, I felt like I was reading the Bible anew. Uh, John Piper, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, generally familiar with this book. Brothers, We're Not Professionals. It's been out for a while. He has a chapter called Bitzer Was a Banker. Is anyone familiar with it? Bitzer was a banker. I read it first or second year of Hebrew, and from hence on forth, I photocopied it. I read it two or three times every time I took a language class. It's a story of a banker. It's a story of a banker who made a Greek and Hebrew devotional and would give it to his pastor who did not know Greek or Hebrew. Brothers and sisters, Bitzer was a banker. Part of this, it'll slow down the thinking and the meditative process. One of the things that I want to try to highlight, to study Greek, I hope, I hope, will delight the soul that it makes you happy in God to study Greek. Look at A.T. Robertson. A.T. Robertson, the minute study called for by the Greek, opens up unexpected treasures that surprise and delight 
the soul. <clears throat> Flip on over to page four there. Let's read some more of Martin Luther. Let's look at H. To ensure theological rigor and depth to Christian theology. Here's Martin Luther's comment. When men accept, attempt to defend the faith with such uncertain arguments and mistaken proof texts, are not Christians put to shame and made a laughingstock in the eyes of adversaries who know the language? The adversaries only become more stiff-necked in their air and have an excellent pretext for regarding our faith as a mere human delusion. When our faith is thus held up to ridicule, where does the fault lie? It lies in the ignorance of the languages, and there is no other way out than to learn the languages. Those without Hebrew and Greek often employ uncertain, indefensible, and inappropriate expressions. They grope their way like a blind man all along the way, frequently missing the sense of the text, twisting it to suit their... Obviously, that's in a good Martin Luther-esque way of saying something. To calm him down a little bit, I hope we see the point. <clears throat> Jason Derushi, he's at a sister seminary. Jason Derushi exhorts the following, if Greek is to be recovered in the Christian church, and I love this, because Jason's vision is that to know Greek is a whole church responsibility. First, seminary professors and administrators. That's me. We have to fight to make exegeting the word in the original languages, the core of every curriculum that is designed to train vocational ministers of God's book. The church's shepherds and the shepherds in training seek to become God-dependent, rigorous thinkers who study, practice, and teach the word in that order. Other congregational leaders, give your ministers who are called to preach and teach time to study and help your congregations see this as a priority. It's a gym. I, I labor, I pastor at Redeemer Baptist Church in Riverside. Our church gets this. I present papers. I present lectures uh, in the UK, in Helsinki, across other places in America. And I labor in colleges. I stand before you today as a seminary teacher. And I tell you what, Redeemer Baptist Church is the most intimidating place to teach. Why? Because I have about five bitzers sitting in the front row. They know their Bible at times it feels like better than I can even teach it. Teach your church, teach your church how to love the scriptures and then with patience. Do not lord it over them with patience because you are being given a gift with patience. Show them the importance for you to study in the original languages takes time. Fourth, 
Young adult leaders and college professors encourage those sensing a call to vocational ministry of the word to become thoroughly equipped for the task. Everyone in number five, top of page five, pray to our glorious God for the preservation of the gospel for our leaders and for the churches and schools training them. I love this article by Jason. The study of the scriptures, the study of the scriptures in the original language is a whole church practice. It doesn't mean everyone is going to master them. And it doesn't mean everyone has to know them, but it is a whole church practice. Let's talk about a method of studying. Pray before each class on your own. Pray in your own soul before you begin each session of language, right? I've already shared with you a little bit my time in uh, seminary in my first Hebrew class, I made it a habit. The moment I sat in my chair, I knew that I was beginning a task so heavy that I myself did not have the wherewithal to master this. And I needed God's help. Plan to feel two to three weeks behind at all times. This feeling is the result of learning the complexities of it. I know that as your teacher, and I'm going to have grace and patience with you as we labor into this. I have a hunch we'll feel this probably about week three or four. We'll probably feel this about week three or four. If you look at the syllabus, every three to four weeks, I have a catch-up day where we will just get together and we're going to catch up, right? We won't press forward on new content. So I know that. I know that this is a normal habit of, of stu when students learn languages. Learn your vocabulary and consistently or constantly review old vocabulary, right? Use note cards. Uh, we live in a day and age where apps are excellent. I have a few apps that I could easily recommend you if you'd like. Uh, learn these various elements. I don't want to get um, bogged down in them because you don't know what these names are just yet. Uh, e, look at E. Read the Greek New Testament sooner than later to begin seeing patterns in their settings. Okay, ready? By the end of today, we are going to read 1 John chapter 1 together. Okay? Just begin reading sooner than you think you should be reading. Will you understand it and be able to translate it? No. But over the next six weeks, that first chapter you'll begin being very familiar with the forms. You will be able to recognize every form in 1 John chapter one, so that I'll be able to stop you and I'll say, you know that word, you know it. Just push pause for a second, dig deep, and it'll come out. You'll start feeling those words come out. 15 minutes a day is better than one hour twice per week. To cram is to perish. Cultivate. You are cultivating a plant. You're cultivating a plant. Pray that God stirs the soil and you constantly, through prayer, water your love of the language. Remind yourself, remind yourself of this goal.
to uphold theological clarity and to proclaim the excellencies of Christ from the Greek New Testament, to disciple Christians, evangelize non-believers. You are learning this language to comprehend Christian theology, love for God, and to serve the local church, love for others. The great commandment is going to govern how and why we learn Greek. Right? You don't want to be the one who stands up and tries to lord over these people. The Greek says this in a sense of arrogance. No, 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 no. Let Greek come out when it needs to, but you in the deep recesses of your study know it deeply, intimately, so that when you teach, it comes out of you naturally. As someone is dying on their deathbed, do they really need to know what this principal part means? No, don't tell them that. But you need to know what 2 Corinthians 1 says. To know that in Greek will help you explain it on the spot. Study with people. All right, study with people. Study with people. Flip on over to the last page. Let's read Rodney Decker. Decker was a man of God. Shortly after he finished writing this book, he lost his battle to cancer. Rodney Decker says, more depends on the teacher than on the textbook. When teaching in ancient language, good teachers can accomplish their purpose with just about any textbook, but a good textbook certainly helps. But in the end, it will come down to your making the language come alive for your students. That is a note that he wrote to teachers. And I look at that and I say, challenge accepted, because we are going to labor together. We are going to labor together. And in two hours, we are going to be able to read 1 John with joy. Let's take a five-minute break. Mm -hmm.